Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. A lot of people want to make friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, educate, teach, put in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Okay. How in the world is it possible? that the S&P 500 is up 25% year-to-date. And only 69 stocks in the index are down for 2019? Consider the circumstances. Uh, after a not-so-hot day where the Dow dropped 105 points, S&P dipped 0.32%, NASDAQ edged down 0.40%. Think about it. We're on the verge of an escalation in the trade war. Our country's divided like no time since the Civil War. The earnings next year are barely expected to be up. Two of the leading contenders for the Democratic nomination have big problems with big business. Yet, as some day-to-day turbulence aside, the market is still in bull market mode, and it keeps climbing. First, got to remember, a year ago, things seemed incredibly bleak. The Federal Reserve decided to hit us with a series of rate hikes right when the economy started experiencing some turbulence, and the averages got obliterated. You can see that right there. For most of 2019, we were simply rolling back 2018's losses. The S&P 500 got blasted from 2937, that was last October, down to 2346. Uh, at its lowest last December, pretty soon, you know, we're going to analyze that. When the Fed finally got a clue and changed course, the index came right back like a coiled spring, which is why it's now at 3135. Boom, Fed gets religion. Boom, just like that. Of course, I don't want to blame it all on the central bank. That would be too superficial. At the same time that our errant Fed chief, Jay Powell, got way too hawkish, the White House decided to seriously step up the trade war with China. Vice President Pence gave a fable and I think very important major speech about 14 months ago that made it sound less like a trade war and more like a cold war. Wall Street's terrified of tariffs, and that speech made you feel like the tariffs were just the beginning. And they were. Put it all together, and there were some major headwinds in the fourth quarter of the year leading to some heinous numbers. For instance, Apple, largest company on Earth, pre-announced a very weak quarter right at the beginning of January. And, uh, well, let's just say that was it. Stock only fell from 233 
last October to 142 after the pre-announcement. That is a staggering decline. How do we survive that? Isn't that incredible? Long story short, coming into 2019, it seemed like everything was against us. The Fed, earnings, trade, you name it. All that negativity allowed the bears to grab the microphone and to predict and interpret the headlines in a way that was just downright frightening. For instance, they told us that Apple's weakness foretold major weakness in tech. The December tightening was merely the prelude to a series of disastrous short-term rate hikes that would invert the yield curve. Sending short-term rates above long-term rates, that's a sure sign of a pending recession. But what actually happened? First, Apple's pre-announcement foretold nothing, not even for Apple stock itself. In fact, the stock bottomed right into those horrific numbers and then came roaring back in a remarkable Lazarus-like resurrection. Thanks to strong cell phone sales and its fabulous ecosystem, Apple surged to 267 as of today. Sure, it was down a little bit, but you can't. At one point, it was down five today. People were upset. Please. Yet people were interpreting everything through the worst possible light. They were being Armageddonist, to use the term coined by J.P. Morgan's brilliant Michael Semblis, a fabulous strategist. For example, late last year, Apple told us they were going to stop breaking out the number of cell phones sold each quarter. Well, everybody assumed that meant iPhones were falling off a cliff. Turns out the opposite was true. Apple stopped breaking out those numbers because it wanted to emphasize that its future is more about the service revenue stream from the whole iPhone ecosystem. The company proved that it could make a fortune away from cell phones, including with the watch and the AirPods. But then the new iPhone comes out and boom, huge hit. Now Apple's firing on all cylinders. What else? A year ago, the Fed seemed determined to crush the economy in order to stamp out non-existent inflation. The Armageddonists wanted you to believe that Jay Powell was just a human wrecking ball. But over the course of 2019, he quickly changed course, realizing his mistakes and then giving us the rate cuts we desperately needed. Who could have imagined that the head of our nation's central bank would be so reasonable? Certainly not the permanent pessimists. For months, the conventional wisdom said we were headed for a recession because of that inverted yield curve I just mentioned, as though that was some sort of uh, something unfixable. Well, it turns out it's very easy to fix when the Fed stops trying to put phantom inflation to bed. Now that the Fed's your friend, and they are, the recession thesis has been taken off the table. We'll find out the Fed's next move on Wednesday. Oh, and it sure doesn't uh, hurt that employment stayed strong a year right down to last week's job number. Third and finally, last year, we were obliterated by trade worries. Now, this is the only one of those three that I'm talking about that I am concerned about. Pence's speech last October signaled that the trade war with China was going to escalate. And that's exactly what happened. Will it keep escalating? That's the thing. While the president seems consumed by the impeachment hearings, I think over the long haul, that's a sideshow because the Senate will never convict. We know the president likes to win. But the problem with trade is that his definition of a win is different from Wall Street's definition of a win. See, to Wall Street, a win is a trade deal, good or bad. Doesn't matter. But the White House wants a good deal for America. And that's why they seem to think that a win makes a win means no deal or at least no deal until after the election. What's Trump thinking? Oh, it's hard to divine, of course. Well, it's always it's difficult to gauge. Two weeks ago, the Chinese Communist Party adopted a predatory new stance on cybersecurity. Basically, if you want to do business in China, you have to use encryption that the government can easily break into. Thanks for that. Then this weekend, Beijing ordered government entities to rip out foreign computers, including those made by Dell and HP. I think they're looking for creative ways to retaliate against the tariffs and to actually say to the president, we're not buying it. You want to come in, you got to take the consequences. But whatever their motivation, these are not the actions of a government that's eager to make a deal. This is not like Mexico and Canada who want to do a deal with the U.S. lest they get punished and slow their own economies. That's hence that you, you, the, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico deal that I think is on the verge of being done. You know what? China, I say fine. 
The trade war is hurting China a lot more than it's hurting us. Don't believe the conventional media. They're wrong. They haven't done the work. If you want this to drag out, by all means, let it drag. Honestly, for the life of me, I cannot believe that the president's even debating holding off on his planned December 15th tariff hikes after the great employment number we got last Friday and the possibility of a very big North American deal on the horizon. Our economy is in even better shape than we thought. The Armageddon has told us the tariffs would wreck the economy, but that just hasn't happened. So as I see it, President Trump has no reason whatsoever to make a deal. He's got to hold off on the next round of tariff hikes. Might it, it, there's no reason to hold off. He might as well pile them on, as a matter of fact. Give China an additional incentive to make a deal. I've been thinking 30% across the board. I'm not kidding. But here's the one-two punch that concerns me. On Wednesday, Jay Powell tells us the Fed's next move. If he says something about how he doesn't know whether he'll cut rates or hike them, the averages could get pummeled. I I don't think he's that stupid, but you never know. Now, if we get a tepid statement from Powell, followed by tough news on the trade front, maybe the president decides to walk away from the negotiations when we come in next Monday. Maybe he listens to me and thinks about actually raising tariffs across the board more than they are. Well, you better believe the Armageddon will be in here screaming, sell, sell, sell. The bottom line, I'm making it my mission to prepare you for that combination or anything that could bring out the negative Nancys. If Powell says nothing about tightening and the president holds off on the next round of tariffs, this market will soar. But... If they both go the other way, stocks are going to sell off. And you have to be ready to buy them into weakness caused by the perennial pessimists who dominate endlessly our airwaves. Let's go to Brandon in Virginia. Brandon. Hey, booyah, Jim. Big fan of the show here. Thank you. Hey, I'm a young investor, just graduated from college. I was looking at uh, DKS, Dick Sporting Goods. It hit highs today. Um, It spiked 10% about a week ago. What are your thoughts? I'm thinking about a put option on it. No, uh, no, no. The quarter was really excellent. I mean, I went over that quarter with a fine-tooth comb, and I speak to management. Uh, Dick's did a terrific job. I mean, look, can the stock drop a couple? Sure, but they, they've actually done quite well. They've really made it so that they've got proprietary, uh, oh, proprietary line of product. I, I don't want you shorting Dick's. That'd be a big mistake. How about Deborah in Ohio, please? Deborah. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Deborah. How are you? Great. Um, I bought uh, Skyworks um, three months ago. And I was up 35%, so I cashed in half of my position. But I'd like to buy more on dips. Do you think this is a good idea? Yes, I do. I mean, there was a really terrific piece this morning by Bank of America, Barrow Lynch, about how well Skyworks is doing. Liam Griffin is really a terrific manager. They are really a great 5G play. I've been saying that for some time, actually for about about 40 points. And I reiterate, uh, if it comes down, that's a good one. Dave in Illinois. Dave! Dr. Kramer. Dave. So what's the S&P... What's the S&P oscillator telling us these days? Well, we're starting to get a little overbought. Uh, that's why a day like today, a little sell-off does not hurt. We want that because we don't want to get too aggressive. Uh, if we do that, then suddenly we're going to find ourselves in a fix by the end of the year. And we're okay. We're still on reasonable level. Oh. Jim, very recently, this all-round pharma company published an enhanced phase three data on its leukemia drug, Imbruvica bolstering its case for speed and efficacy. 40 days ago, it reported three Q results, beating sales and earnings expectations. Of course, I'm talking about AbbVie. Right. Jim, we know you like this stock as it holds a high ranking and enjoys a heavy weighting in your charitable trust exactly holdings. Right. The stock is up 23% in the last three months. So, Jim, my good mad friend, 
Please tell us more why you like ABBV. Okay, yes, I've been doing the conference call on Wednesday about this. You're so right. It was, this stock was radically undervalued. Why? Because as is often the case, when you make an acquisition like they did with Allergan, people immediately freak out. And now we're starting to come to fruition. And I believe the CGRP, once their pill for acute migraine, is going to be extraordinarily good. I also think, by the way, just so you know, that the Imbruvica that you mentioned, Johnson Johnson owns half, has been a remarkable drug. It continues to be able to gain momentum. I'm no longer worried about the one product notion of AbbVie. Big dividend. Stock goes to 100. David in Pennsylvania, please. David. Jim, hi. How are you? I'm good, hey, David. Thanks for, taking, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I was just calling to touch base with you on VMware. I started to follow VMware last year after a great interview you had with the CEO. Um, and I just wanted to get your thoughts based on uh, the recent pullback since uh, the earnings. Um, yeah, I think I gotta tell you, Dave. I think that the stock's been going down more in relation to uh, people believe that if Dell's not good, then uh, VMware's not good. Uh, Sanjay Poonam was on. He's the COO. Uh, I think he's doing a remarkable job. I think VMware is a buy, not a sell. Obviously, they're in a tussle with Nutanix, but I do think it's a very good stock. Is it as good as Splunk, which has been the best of the uh, 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 of the cloud stocks that we follow? No, but it's pretty good. All right, it comes down to China and the Fed. It is my job to prepare you for what could come this week. You are now ready for all possibilities. Because remember, if this market gets cracked on a some sort of news on trade that is not good for Wall Street, that may be your opportunity to buy. Man Money Tonight, there are just 16 days until Christmas. But the department stores never look more irrelevant. I'm going to tell you why they made more than a miracle on 34th Street to turn around. Then two analysts enter, but only one leaves. Don't miss an epic showdown over the fate of ATT. Then Nutanix is down nearly 18% for year to date, but it's up over 35% over the past few months. Is it time to buy or does the choppy action give you pause? Especially after that VMware question, I've got the exclusive with the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. Yeah! 
What the heck happened to the department stores? We're in prime shopping season right now, the period between Thanksgiving and the New York, yet these quintessentially American retailers have never felt more irrelevant. It's not an easy answer. You know, it, it's it, because, well, look, the department stores, they're kind of like an Anna Karenina problem. Remember, as in happy families are all alike, every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. That's some sage stock picking advice from Leo Tolstoy. In retail, a happy families like Walmart, Target, and Costco are, are feeling pretty similar. But the losers, like Macy's and Kohl's, have lots of uniquely self-inflicted wounds. Of course, they've also got bigger problems, like Amazon. You can't blame the department store for the retail Death Star. It's not their fault. Amazon's got incredibly low prices, combined with unbelievable convenience. With that kind of competition, brick-and-mortar retailers need something special to lure customers into their stores. Unfortunately, none of the traditional department store chains has been able to do that. We know it's possible because Walmart and Target have kept Amazon at bay by aggressively expanding their digital capabilities. Macy's, Kohl's, and yes, Nordstrom, with that legendary service, they haven't been able to do that. They don't have the lowest prices, and they don't have a great off uh, online experience. They just don't. Second major problem, over the last few years, it's become much easier to return clothes that you buy over the web. People would much rather try this stuff on at home than in the store. I've been querying people on Twitter all weekend about their experience returning Amazon goods at Kohl's. It's a popular new initiative. But it almost seems like the final Trojan horse wheeled into the department store. While some respondents ended up making impulse purchases at Kohl's with their discounts, Amazon still feels to me like the real winner because it's giving you yet another reason to just order direct from the website. Third issue, Wall Street enticed many of these department stores to do the wrong thing with their balance sheets. Macy's has bought back nearly 100 million shares over the past seven years, yet its market cap has shrunk during that period from roughly 15 billion to 4.6 billion. They even borrowed money to fund the buyback, and that's almost always a terrible idea. Over that same period, Kohl's has shrunk its share count from $235 million to $157 million seven years. But its market cap has gone from roughly $10 billion to $7.3 billion. Just like Macy's, they took on a big slug of debt in part to pay for this. They haven't been better off if they just sat on that money. They'd be much better off if they spent it on building out their online capabilities. For the collapse of the malls absolutely crushed Macy's. Most malls are run by real estate investment trusts these days that want to raise rents every year to please their investors, sometimes more than the shoppers or tenants themselves. And unfortunately, the structure of the mall is just plain wrong for today's shopper. Malls seem to work only for higher-end specialty stores like a Lululemon, which reports this week, and I am expecting a good number. The shopping center format has more going for it, but department stores are still stuck in the And it's just not working. Five, now these troubled retailers can't afford to offer the same level of customer service they used to. Sometimes they have long lines, sloppy aisles, empty registers. These are all common complaints about most of the mall-based department stores that I read online. They can't afford to be run efficiently. The final cause of death, well, you know what it is? It's the cell phone. Yep, our cell phones get better and better every year. It's gotten to the point where you're already carrying a one-stop mall in your pocket everywhere you go, particularly for the millennials. Whoever was the lowest price wins in the, uh, in the handheld mall, right? As long as they've got a quality delivery service. The problem for Macy's and Kohl's and Nordstrom is that all these trends are accelerating, meaning their position gets worse and worse with every passing year. Perhaps even a miracle on 34th Street might not be enough to turn this industry around. Stick with Craig. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. 
plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. Here's a question. Have you ever been prescribed a medication? Most likely, yes. Well, what about this question? Did you understand how it worked? The way your medication works in your body shouldn't be a mystery. Learn how Vivgart, Fgart Tigamod Alpha FCAB works by visiting vivgart.com slash MOA. That's V-Y-V-G-A-R-T dot com slash MOA. Brought to you by Argenix. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Until a few weeks ago, the stock of ATT was experiencing a phenomenal bull run. After years of being lost in the wilderness, the gigantic telco company seemed like it was finally turned itself around. And the stock's still up more than 30% for the year. At the beginning of September, the activists at Elliott Management announced that they'd taken a position in ATT. They let out a very compelling feast to buy the stock. Uh, in response, the stock caught fire. It was cheap at a high yield, and the underlying company had a ton of room to improve now that you had some big-time activists holding management accountable. Then, on November 19th, the stock simply hit a wall. It sank from $39 to $37 over a couple of days, which is a substantial move for roughly $280 billion company. And since then, ATG shares have been pretty much stagnant marking time. What happened? Craig Moffat, an incredibly influential media analyst at Moffat and Nathanson, downgraded the stock to a sell and uh, gave it a $30 price target. Down in the stallion, nine bucks from where it was trading. He laid out such a compelling bearish argument, even three weeks later, ATT hasn't been able to get his mojo back. So is Moffitt right? Is it time to dump the stock of ATT after this humongous run? Or are you finally getting a chance to buy a piece of quality merchandise at a bit of a discount from where it was? I want to go over this powerful sell recommendation, but first you need to know the bull case that the downgrade derailed. And I want you to know it because I got to tell you, I think a lot of you own this stock or certainly thinking about buying it. See, when ATT caught fire in September, it wasn't because people thought the company was in great shape. The stock had been a pariah on Wall Street for ages. No one had any faith in management. The company seemed to bumble from mistake to mistake. 2015, they spent $67 billion buying DirecTV, which has been an awful business. Then last year, ATT doubled down on television, spending $109 billion to acquire Time Warner. Even though it's tough to explain how a phone company in a media conglomerate will necessarily benefit from being under the same roof. 
In fact, when Elliott Management announced that they'd taken a stake in ATT, they released a blistering critique of the company's failed strategy. According to Elliott, the business had gotten too big and too complicated for its own good. But they also had a plan. And it was a plan that they believe can make ATT into a $60 stock. And wow, do I ever like the plan. How are they going to get there? Elliott argued that ATT needs to become more focused. They should sell off non-core assets, improve operational efficiency, pay down debt, maybe even bring in new leadership. In addition to dumping businesses like DirecTV, uh, they want ATT to bring in outside consultants to help bolster its historically, let's say, not so hot execution. If they can do all of that while protecting the dividend, which I know is key to you if you own it, currently yields 5.3%, the bulls at Elliott believe the stock can go much higher. Now, in late October, ATT reported its third quarter results. also gave us some long-term forecasts. These numbers look a lot like Elliott's estimates. By 2022, management saying they can earn between 450 to 480 per share. Modest dividend growth, company paying down all of its acquisition debt from the Time Warner deal. In response, Elliott made it clear that management's working, and I quote, closely and collaboratively, end quote, with them to unlock value, which is exactly what the bulls want to hear. <laughs> and it's why the stock rallied for the next few weeks. Key here is that the bull thesis mostly depends on Elliott. It's less of a bet on ATT, more of a bet that one of the best-run activist firms on Earth, one that I had come to respect from looking at the rigorous work, can force this pitiful, helpless giant to turn itself around. Oh, but wait a second. How is Craig Moffat able to derail the story? When he downgraded the stock to a sell roughly three weeks into November, sell, sell, sell. He made a very compelling argument. Basically, Moffat thinks ATT's long-term forecasts are absurd. And when you drill down into the numbers, it's hard to see how they'll be able to hit those targets for 2022. This is a company with a bunch of declining businesses. Think wireline, telephones, cable TV. The only potential bright spot is ATT's currently stagnant wireless business. And that division will help to accelerate dramatically if it's uh, going to offset the has to uh, accelerate dramatically if it's going to excel, uh, offset the weakness and everything else. Given this bleak outlook, Moffitt argues that ATT stock was simply too expensive. It's down less than a buck and a half since then, but the momentum is gone. So does this bear have a point? I hate to waffle like this, but yes and no. I think he's right that the new long-term forecasts need to be approached with skepticism, but that doesn't mean the stock's a sell. These are very ambitious targets. That's the whole point. After a decade of complacency, somebody's finally holding ATT's feet to the fire. Plus, I get the sense that these targets may be more doable than Moffat would have you believe. For example, that acceleration in wireless. Well, with the transition to 5G, ATT expects a major pickup in iPhone sales in 2020 and 2021. I agree with that. If we're on the verge of an upgrade cycle, then those forecasts seem a lot more achievable. On top of that, last week, ATT's chief financial officer, John Steffen, spoke at the uh, Wells Fargo Technology uh, Media and Telecom uh, Summit. He went into more detail about how the company would hit those targets, making some, I thought, pretty encouraging comments about the Warner Media business, which is seeing real strength thanks to HBO and Cinemax. Steve also pointed out that ATT's seen real stabilization in business wirelines and in total business solutions. In other words, the legacy divisions Moffitt's so worried about might be doing better than you think. At the same time, if ATT can step up its wireless growth, most of those costs are fixed, so it will give the earnings a major boost. Better yet, ATT's done a terrific job of paying down debt from the Time Warner deal to the point where Stephens talked about uh, how they're going to get more uh, aggressive about raising the dividend and buying back stock going forward. And that's exactly what the bulls want to hear, although I would prefer them to raise the dividend. The buying back stock is enough already. Put it all together. I think Moffitt's missing the forest for the trees with the sell recommendation. 
Even if he's right that it's borderline impossible for ADT to hit its forecast for 2022, I don't think any of the bulls are really banking on those numbers. This is a forced turnaround play, meaning Elliott's management is forcing ATT to get its act together. If the company can't make real progress toward its long-term guidance, I have to leave Elliott will come down on them like a ton of bricks and bring in a new team. The thing is, ATT's got some iconic brands, but it's, it's been over a decade since management was really motivated to create value. If you buy the stock here, you're betting that the company has a lot of room to improve uh, with more focused leadership. Given that ATT is currently selling for less than 11 times next year's earnings, estimates uh, it's got a 5.3% yield, I, I, I think it's a bet worth making. Bottom line, if ATT were trading in the 40s or even the mid-50s, where Elliott believes it can go if the company hits its long-term targets, then the stock would be a sell here. But at $38, ATT is already trading like those estimates are unlikely. And hey, if management can deliver, I see this stock going much much higher. John in Florida. John. Hi, Jim. Long time listener, first time caller. Okay. Thank you for calling. And I just wanted to say thank you for helping me make money on Disney. I bought a bunch back in the 40s years ago, and I just sold it just because I thought it was time to take the profit. And I wanted to know, should I keep buying or holding on to the rest that I have or sell it? Well, John, first of all, thank you for the kind words. I want you to hold it. I'm doing a conference call on Wednesday for uh, ActionAlertsPlus.com members, and I know I like to play with an open hand. I'm going to say you hold on to it because I do think that next year is going to be another big year, and I like Disney+. Plus. I, I think that Bob Iger is doing a very good job. Bill in Arizona. Bill. Hey, booyah, Jim. Uh, Bill from Arizona, thank you for all you do to help the everyday investor. You're welcome. Uh, my, stock is, my stock is Sienna, ticker symbol C-I-E-N. It reports Thursday before the bell. Uh, he had a good third quarter beat uh, back in September, but it's dropped like 20% since then. I uh, was wondering if uh, Sienna's uh, a buy now. Uh, that is a very, you know, this stock has been so inconsistent. Uh, it's either great or bad, great or bad. And uh, that is just too high risk a name for me. If you want to know, if you want telco equipment that's at a discount, you want to buy Marvell, M-R-V-L, which had a fine quarter but is doing a reorganization to switch more to 5G. And people don't see it. They're willing to buy Corvo and they're willing to buy Skyworks. They should be willing to buy Marvell. That's the better bet. The bulls and the bears both raise good points when it comes to ATT. But I believe the stock's only going higher if management delivers. I do think they will, though. Much more may have money ahead. More than 14,000 of the world's most advanced data centers trust Nutanix. Should you trust an investment in the company? I'm talking with the CEO. Then it's no home sweet home when it comes to at home. I'm eyeing the company for its tough quarter. You know we've had them on. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I was once 40 under 40, anything with 30 in front of it, or yeah. 3 in front well, of it. Well, you get a 2 for 1 split. I'm right there. <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. to talk about a company named Nutanix. This is a cloud infrastructure software enterprise that deals in what we know as hyper-converged systems. 
Their platform allows businesses to combine all of their server management, storage, and virtualization needs into a single package. Now, I've always felt this is an intriguing story, but Nutanix, the stock itself, has been a real wild trader. Down about 20% for the year, but it's almost 100% from its lows this past August. Why? Because the company's shifting to more of a subscription-oriented business model, and it can cause some volatility in the near-term numbers. When Nutanix reported late last month, they knocked it out of the park, and the stock surged from 28 to 33 in a single day. Question is, can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Deeridge Panday. He's the founder, chairman, and CEO of Nutanix. Get a better sense of how his company's doing where it's headed. Mr. Panday, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you. It's a pleasure, Jim. Oh, thank you, Deeridge. Now, you are involved in a difficult transition. And for some people, it looks like that basically you're flatlining. But underneath, there's a tremendous change into a business model that's far better. So can you walk people through what's really happening so they don't judge a book by its cover? Oh, yeah. I think uh, I, I sit on the board of Adobe and I, I get to realize how difficult transitions can be. Um, what we've really done in the last uh, 9 to 12 months is take our entire billion and a half dollar business through this transition called subscription. And on the other side of this transformation will be a much more efficient business model, but also a highly portable license model that our customers can really use both in a private cloud as well as in a public cloud. And a lot of large corporations are really thinking hard about, do they need to own technology or do they want to have access to technology? So this subscription transformation will be a great gateway for them to really look like a hybrid cloud uh, customer of ours. All right, so you mentioned uh, in your conference call that an apparel manufacturer has placed a big order with you. Uh, is that one that is uh, uh, subscription or is it licensed? And what are they doing? Because our, our viewers will understand apparel versus in some of the more abstruse uh, customers that you have. Yeah, I think uh, uh, this idea of uh, uh, all our large customers is really around subscription. Most of our licenses last uh, quarter, 66 of our customers were more than a, a million-dollar deals uh, last quarter, and most of them were subscription. And they really bought us for ease of use and portability of licenses. Portable licenses means that they can take our technology to go and virtualize, simplify, and integrate their multi-cloud experience. So that one deal that you're talking about is really about portable licenses. Okay. Uh, another way, I think, to explain it I thought was a, a kind of a nifty way to talk about your company is the, what iTunes did, the music analogy. I think that that's a good one that our viewers will understand. Maybe you can go through uh, what I regard as being a very simple way to understand what's going on. It's a great question, Jim. I mean, if you go back 15 years, uh, iPhone really went and transformed music. They didn't reinvent it, but they just made it smaller, 99-cent songs. And people started to really do bite-sized consumption of music with uh, one song at a time. But then it wasn't enough, and people were owning music with iTunes. And here comes Spotify and says, you know, you really don't want to own music. You want to have a subscription to a stream of music. So we went from ownership to access, and that's exactly what's happening in the enterprise world as well. People are saying, if I need to really go and consume a bunch of products, do I want to own these products or do I want to really own uh, a subscription where I can really stream products from a uh, a particular vendor? And that's exactly what's happening. As we've gone from being a single product company to a multi-product company and the fact that our licenses uh, need to really be deployed in a public cloud as well as the private cloud, the only way to have given this freedom to our customers is subscription. All right, now, but you're also, uh, that's a good... Uh, way to outline it, but you're also a feisty guy. 
And I'm going to present a quote uh, that, you, that you guys are out there with, which is a company that's been on quite a bit. VMware. You're right. VMware is postponing the inevitable uh, with having two or three different silos of spend. You can't call yourself a hybrid cloud company. You're really taking a shot of the ballot uh, at VMware with that. Uh, how do we know that you can go head to head and win? Well, uh, all the companies that really uh, took the hard stuff up front, you look at Microsoft and Adobe and Autodesk and, you know, many of these companies, they took an on-prem model and said, we've got to go and really move to subscription. Yet others didn't, and they are still an on-prem company, you know, business software companies that really didn't uh, take the subscription transition head-on. We believe that uh, customers are really looking to deploy licenses anywhere and everywhere. Now, all that being said, I also am pretty comfortable with the state of being that we're in right now. Where Sometimes we're an app on top of VMware, where they are the platform, we are the app, and yet at other times we are the platform and the app itself. So all that being said, I think I, we really the, it's a short cross the bow for every company out there to really think hard about what does a hybrid cloud mean and how do you provide access to your technology to your customers so they're not really tethered to an on-prem model alone, mm-hmm. and they can really have portable entitlements. All right, listen, I just want to know how, how business is. We have a lot of the enterprise companies, enterprise software companies, who are telling us, for instance, Cisco came on air and said, you know what, it's getting harder to sign deals. Uh, and it was, uh, I, I, you know, it caused me to pause because I think that the secular increase in your business is so great. Is it getting harder for you to sign deals? Well, uh, we've reiterated our yearly guidance, uh, and uh, we think that right now we're not that big a company that will actually see uh, the same kind of effects that some of the very large companies are actually seeing from across the world. We do see uh, a pretty good uh, America's enterprise market, and uh, some of the large deal behavior of the last quarter actually reaffirms that confidence that we have about the macro, at least as of now. Excellent. Okay, Deerage Panday, thank you so much. Nutanix CEO, always good to talk to you, sir. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Man, money's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. Give us a and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Skate dance. Over the lightning round. Let's start with Bob and Tuck on Bob. Jim Cramer, the great and powerful wizard of the Booyah. Okay. Need help with Kellogg. K. Well, you know what? I, as between Kellogg saying uh, almost, yeah, the stock's had a bit of a run. Can I just go with high quality here? We interviewed uh, Jim Quincy this morning. James Quincy for Coca-Cola. Even better is Pepsi. P-E-P. That's the one I want you in. Let's go to Farouk in Illinois. Farouk. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Greetings from the Windy City. Good to have you. Thank you so much for everything you do for us, home gamers, and especially for the young generation. You're very kind. My daughter's into it just because of you. Thank you so much. Oh, there you go. Jim. Jim, what are your thoughts on Teladoc? I'd like to start a new position in that. I know you're passionate about it. What do you think well, about I it am. right now? And what makes me know, I know there's a head and shoulder pattern. A lot of people worried about that kind of thing. But let me just say that they got downgraded and the stock barely got hurt. Let's wait a few weeks to see if the head and shoulders pattern continues. I'm enough of a chartist to care about that, all right? But I do like the stock. Evan in New York. Evan! Hey, hey Jim, what's happening? How much about you? I'm good, good. 
is uh, um, win. Is that a winner? W-Y-N-N. I got to wait. I got to wait to see what they do with trade. Uh, no sense to go out in front of the trade deal. No sense. No sense at all. Robert in Arizona. Robert. Hi, Jim. Hey, Robert. Asking about IRM. We have, I've looked at this dividend several times. I believe it is safe at seven and a half. I know that it's a boring stock. I don't care about boring. I care about income, and it's got it. Dennis in Michigan. Dennis. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. How are you doing? All right. How about you? Thanks for taking Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I'm in around 20 with this stock, and I was wondering what your thoughts are on EXEL. Oh, excellent. Just so you know that we've liked this stock. Now it has come back down. But after what's happened this weekend with all these biotech companies that got a bid, I insist that you keep a speculative position on in the situation. Let's go to Rick in California. Rick. Hey, booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. Great to talk to you. From Southern, Southern California. Okay, good to have you. Thanks. Hey, appreciate everything you do. Love your wisdom. Love your humor, especially in the morning when you're on squawk. Thank you. you. Thank you. Okay. So... I got this stock. You recommended it not too long ago. I bought some of it. I took your advice. Don't buy it all at once. And I waited. Good thing I did because it went down a lot. And now it looks like it's at the bottom. And the, the stock is revolved. I like think? revolved. E commerce company. I, I, I like it. Women's fashion. I've got to tell you. Stitch Fix. Everyone blasted me when I thought that Stitch Fix was going to be good. And there it is tonight with just a gigantic upside surprise. And people are saying, well, wait a second, Jim. And you know what? You burned me. And are you kidding me? The stock has got a 50% short position. So I think Revolve goes higher. Let's go to Gene in Hawaii. Gene. Aloha, Jim. Aloha. Mahalo. Yeah, the stock I'm interested in, Fitbit. Well, it's time to ring the register. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, ultimately, we're not arbitrageurs. Nice game. Move on. Blake in Kentucky. Blake. Hey, Jim. How's it going? Well, how about you, Blake? Pretty good. I uh, just want your opinion on advanced micro devices. We want to please assume or? we think it goes higher. Can it go back to 35? Of course. MU's down tonight. May, may do that, but I like the stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. What separates the winners from the losers? I know you care about this. Last week, at Home Group, that's that home decor superstore chain, it reported a truly hideous quarter, and its stock collapsed. It, it plunged from $8.55 to $5.48 in a single session. That is a brutal 35% decline. I know a lot of people here thought it was like, well, how, what can go wrong? Whoa, guess what? While at home rebounded today, gaining 11.6%, I worry that this is more of a dead cat bounce because the stock has been working its way inexorably lower for over a year now. Last summer, it briefly traded above $40. This spring, it was at $25. Now it's at 6 bucks and change. This is actually at home's second hideous gap down in 2019 alone. Oh, man, that's bad look. look at Guys, this is, look at where it is, okay? This is not just like at 12 I feel for these guys. I do. Imagine from trying to turn things around. They came on the show a few months ago, tell us their plans. But so far, they failed miserably. So what can we learn from the at-home debacle? 
Okay, like the rest of retail, the home decor space is very much divided into what I regard as the haves and the have-nots. In the haves, you got RH, which is the company formerly known as Restoration Hardware. It's doing terrifically. Uh, Williams-Sonoma thriving. Target's making a killing in this business. TJX's home goods chain is on fire. Yet at home, catastrophe. So how did this chain become one of the have-nots? How does at-home go from $41 to $6 in less than a year and a half? I got to keep you out of stocks like this because there's no good stocks that can make up for something like this debacle. First, first couple years as a public traded company, at-home was beloved by Wall Street. You couldn't get enough of it. The thing was wildly perceived as a terrific growth play. The company had a run of fantastic same-store sales numbers, and they were putting up new stores all over the country. You know what it looked like to me? A classic regional to national growth story. Worked in one area, well, working in the rest of the country. Then the second half of last year, at-home's numbers started deteriorating, and the stock cut in half. Same-store sales suddenly became inconsistent. A couple of major disappointments. At first, management blamed the weather. Be always careful when you hear that. Then it blamed the tough economy in the fourth quarter. Great job growth. However, even last year, it was becoming obvious that at-home had major operational problems with the CFO late, uh, left late last summer. That's never a good sign. And they had to raise some money via secondary offering. Even as the stock got clobbered, though, many analysts who'd been recommending it refused to give up. They dug in their heels. They saw at home as a temporarily humble company with a sound concept. Terrific runway for growth. No wonder people kept getting blindsided. Next slide down came earlier this June when the company reported a sickening quarter. The stock plunged from $17.50 to $7.50. Single day. Single day. What went wrong? Weaker than expected earnings, same-store sales down 0.8%, and truly terrible guidance for the full year. Wall Street had been hoping at home would earn $1.03 per share. Management lowered the boom on the bulls, forecasting just 67 to 74 cents. That is a huge miss, and it was palpable. It was... The house of pain. Even worse, in the conference call, they blamed the weather again and bent over backwards to reassure investors. You can't issue that kind of guidance and then talk about how you're making great operational progress. At home came off as clueless. The same thing by the way, I criticized Kohl's for its last quarter. Meanwhile, the stock transitioned from a growth play to a value play pretty much overnight because there's not much of a constituency for incredibly troubled retailers with lousy execution. Fast forward to September. Company reports a better than fear quarter, and the stock quickly rebounds back above 10. The problem? If you actually did the homework, at-home's numbers were still distressing. Even after taking a meat axe to the expectations of the previous quarter... Management had to slash their capital expenditure forecast in order to simply maintain their earnings guidance. And, you know, that's a bad sign, people. It's a bad sign for a company that's supposed to be putting up new stores all over the place. We want growth. Now, around this time, you may remember this. Around this time, at-home CEO Lee Bird stopped by Hero Mad Money to tell us his story. He made some bold claims. Listen to this. I think there's been a lot of cloud in the story, but right. I would say that we feel like the market doesn't quite understand and sees us at, well, let's just say we're undervalued. No. After the numbers at home reported last week, maybe they're the ones who don't understand. The actual results were fine, even slightly better than expected. Unfortunately, they gave atrocious guidance for the next quarter, most important quarter, some could argue, and also slashed their full-year forecast. No wonder investors headed for the hills. Where's this weakness coming from? As Bird said, and I quote, our revised outlook for the year primarily reflects weaker performance in our Christmas offering, largely driven by a more promotional holiday environment and the impact of a late Thanksgiving. As a result, we are taking decisive pricing action to address this issue within the current quarter. End quote. Ouch. Dramatic price cuts. 
However, that, that's really a symptom of a larger problem. See, after all, RH and Williams-Sonoma aren't having any problems with pricing, right? So why has At Home been forced to get way more promotional? I think it's because At Home's having an identity crisis. That's why. Its stores fall somewhere in between the value category and the regular full-price home goods category. We know consumers love bargains, and wealthier consumers are willing to pay up for high-end merchandise. But the middle? Wasteland. That's important to remember. Wasteland. Remember what I always say. If it's off price, it's good. If it's online, it's good. If it's in the middle, it's a wasteland. At Home's now trying to transition to a more value-oriented chain on the fly, hence the huge price cuts. And they're having very, very mixed results, to put it diplomatically. Ironically, at home, the stock is having the same problem. This thing has no natural constituency here. It's no longer a growth stock like it used to be, so the growth-oriented funds don't want to touch it. And while the share price has been completely hammered... I'm not sure it's come down enough to appeal to value investors here. Given the repeated disappointments, you got to wonder whether this is a value stock or a value trap. The latter being a nightmare. The bottom line, the retail world's become incredibly stark, people. If you don't have exactly what consumers want, they're taking their business elsewhere. That's why At Home has been obliterated, even as RH and Williams Sonoma and TJX, remember, Home Goods, thrive. I say forget the losers, stick with the winners. I think you'll make a lot more money. Stick with Yo, Booyah, Jim, congratulations on a great show. Mad Money is not a show about picking stocks for you. It's a show about empowering you to think for yourself. This is Bill from New York. Jim, thanks so much. Hey, Jeff, this is Curtis from North Carolina. I wanted to say thanks to you for creating Mad Money. Booyah! The man, the myth, the legend. The Wizard of Wall Street. This is Stuffy from Philly, and I want to give a good booyah. You are the reason why we do this. Some stocks are too heavily shorted, like Stitch Fix. The big bet against this, this actual profitable company was wrong. Like I said, it's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'd find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.